4: Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am your host, Gary Gramling. We have arrived at the most special... Episodes of the year, and they're all special, but these are especially special. Uh, these are our draft recap shows. We are going to split it, as we have done in some years, but not all years. We're going to split this into two shows because it's just it's massive otherwise. Uh, but basically, we are going to run through every team's draft class and what we thought of it. Uh, I, I should say the we is is our very special guest Andy Benoit is here. But uh, yeah, we're going to run through the AFC on this show, the NFC on the next show, and Andy. It was a it was a lengthy draft weekend. Are you are you rejuvenated now? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. I've got a lot of radio stuff to
3: do early this week, so I'm trying to to stay motivated for being on the ball with the draft stuff. Because in past years, by Saturday night, I've been ready to move on. Because it's just I watch every part of the draft or go out, track every pick. But um, you know what's interesting to me, Gary, is this week. The draft is, is still the top of everyone's interests, and it's the front of everybody's mind. And then by about next week or the week after that, we, we're not going to really hear about it again. I, mean, I don't think people rehash the draft a whole lot, given
4: the amount of attention that's paid to it. I wonder if with the the lack of live sports going on, I, I do wonder if there's going to be uh, – a little more chatter, a little more of a tail on it this year, and, and maybe a little more chatter about uh, 2021 and and that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, yeah. I guess that's the thing. Like, if you looked back on last year's draft classes, as, as you know, we're looking at the 2020 draft classes. If you did the same exercise with the 2019 draft classes. It would just kind of, you know, you'd realize like, oh, you know, I was so excited about this sixth rounder that was such a steal. And uh, he's he's a pretty good backup, I guess. That that sort of stuff happens more often than not. And I think people kind of lose track of that, uh, which is fine. You know, be, be hopeful, be optimistic. Our job is to make you less so and make you miserable. So... Uh, The way we are going to do this, again, AFC only on this show. Tuesday, we will have the NFC teams. Uh, We always feel bad for the teams uh, and and their fans in the West because anytime you do a show like this, you end up doing the, the West division last. But we are going to do those folks a favor. We're going to do West first. The way we're going to do this is West, then South, then North. Then east within each division we will do alphabetical. Uh, you know, no other, no other order. If you know your alphabet, you'll be able to uh, approximately figure out where your team is in the show. But uh, with that, let's uh, let's just get right to it. We are starting the AFC West alphabetically. The Denver Broncos are first, and they they just happen to have a, a really good draft. They turned a major weakness into a major strength at wide receiver.
3: Yeah, and I love that the receivers they found fit each other very well as we said on the first round recap show Cortland Sutton who's turned into a really good player for them was a second round pick a few years ago he's a classic X receiver that big bodied guy that lines up on the boundary or on the weak side of the formation and uh, Julio Jones is an X receiver type to give kind of an example and what you need to compliment him with and is, a, is a Z receiver, the guy who can go in motion and run intermediate routes. And I think Jerry Judy's exactly that kind of receiver. And then KJ Hamler is as slot receiverish as slot receivers come, of course, shifty small guy from Penn State. So a, a, a really balanced receiving core now. And last year, what stood out on film was Denver did not have that. They, they didn't have any dimension outside of Sutton to their passing game.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really nice set of three receivers for the future, and, and look, you want to get some sort of read on Drew Locke before you have to make a, a second contract decision on him, and uh, you certainly should be able to get it over the next two seasons here. Uh, they were very conservative with Locke last year, even when he got into the lineup, and uh, and now they don't have to do that because they have other guys besides Cortland Sutton who can go out and catch the ball. Uh, just just uh, highlighting some of the dudes in this draft, uh, Michael Ojemudia. Uh, big corner, big corner ran well at the combine. Good size, speed guy. Uh, you know, sort of a classic Seattle guy, 32-inch arms and and all that. Uh, so he comes into this uh, Vic Fangio defense, uh, presumably as an outside guy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean they're still sort of rebuilding that defensive backfield. No Chris Harris now. Uh, Ojemudia is is certainly not a Chris Harris style of cornerback.
3: No, they did add A.J. Bue this year, and Bryce Callahan was an outstanding slot corner in Chicago a couple of years ago, and they signed him for pretty good money, this, uh, not this past offseason, but the previous offseason, and he missed the whole year with an injury. So it's two new corners who really fit well into the system. Oji Mudia will probably play the other outside spot, and Gary, I think he'll have a chance to earn the starting job there, because Isaac Yodum, their third-round pick of 2018, has really not... Latched on at that spot. He's been Mm -hmm. in and out of the lineup. Devontae Harris was in and out of the lineup last year. The number two corner position has been a revolving door in a negative way for Denver. So that's that will be a starting place. I think Oju Mutia
4: has a really good chance to start this year. And then they uh, they address the interior line. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry was one, one of my favorites. The uh, LSU interior line. He played center at LSU. I think he can kick out to right guard uh, in the sixth. And I just I just said we're not gonna like really hit on six rounders, but I didn't want to mention uh, Natani Muti. Uh, very injury prone, long list of injuries. That's why he dropped down to the sixth round. I think it would have might've have been a day two guy had he not had that uh, durability issue. And as we saw throughout the draft, it, it was tough to get, you know, physicals done and, and examinations done. So a lot of injury prone guys, uh, or I should say injured guys from their college days dropped in this draft.
3: Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's a tough year for those guys have really tough year to be an undrafted free agent, I don't know how you make the team as an undrafted free agent. So the agents for these guys, they're going to have to be very creative and forward thinking about how do we get some of these lower tier prospects into the NFL? Can we get them into the mix next year as undrafted free agents? I don't think, I mean, you can't just let them re-enter the draft again, um, but it's an unusual offseason. The other part of it, Gary, is if there's no college, we don't need to get off track, but if there's no college football, this upcoming offseason that's going to really throw chaos into the next draft so the people doing the mock drafts now the, the next year ahead they race to get out there they're actually not being totally ridiculous this year it might you can maybe do your 2021
4: mock draft now <laughs> so we got we got all the tape we might get but uh which i mean look i think the supplemental draft is going to have a lot of uh, of, of entries this year i think guys who might have been sitting on the fence in january are suddenly saying uh, well, might as well head out there now because yeah. we don't know what we're going to get in the fall. But uh, yep. that's uh, that, that's a whole lot of pessimism for another day. Uh, let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, again, we, we did the first round recap show. We, we talked a little bit about uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's, who's a nice... A nice bonus for that offense. I, I don't know if he's a guy who you sort of plug into your offense and say, "Okay, we're going to build around this guy like he's Saquon Barkley or something." But uh, Edward Tulare, like, you know, like I said, I, I said he's a more dynamic James White. Uh, he's a really nice supplement to what's already great offense. Uh, and on day two, they they go with Willie Gay Jr. Interesting uh, prospect, had some sort of off-field red flags, I think scared some teams off. Uh, although, you know, that's that's for every team to figure out for themselves. The Chiefs obviously didn't have a problem with them going with them. 63rd athletic linebacker. And then uh, they, they get Lucas Niang, the uh, the TCU tackle who, uh, you know, presumably is – is I, I guess he could kick inside the guard if, if, if you wanted him to. But, uh, you know, maybe he's sort of the heir apparent to Mitchell Schwartz who – I don't. know, Mitchell Schwartz is going to play forever, so
3: yeah, because Mitchell Schwartz has played forever. He's mm-hmm. never come out of the lineup until this past year. He is. He'll be thirty-one in June, so maybe you're looking ahead a little bit. Um, I think this was just a case with Niang that they had. They saw value at a spot they didn't necessarily need, but they didn't have a lot of other needs. They did, I think, have that need at linebacker, though, which I, which makes the Willie Gay pick, in my opinion, a, a productive one. What stood out last year with Kansas City's backers, and you know, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, I think they're solid players within the context of the scheme. They're not fast, so there's not a lot of dynamic movement at the second level for the Chiefs. So any talent you can infuse there that's going to be an upgrade for them now gays still going to have to learn the system and it's it's not always the easiest system to learn under spagnolo but bottom line they needed to upgrade at linebacker especially for their base and their nickel packages and they did Or at least they have a chance to. We don't know if any of these
4: guys are upgrades. They have a chance to upgrade. Yeah, theoretically they uh, they upgrade. They they addressed it. I think that's uh, that's how we we sum up here. Uh, Let's go with the now Las Vegas Raiders moving up in the alphabetical standings in the AFC West. They are now third. Uh, The Las Vegas Raiders. uh, You know we talked about the rugs in our net picks. Uh, They took two more receivers on day two. And look, this. This receiving core looks like a receiving core for 2021 to me. Uh, I, I I think this sort of, uh, this signal that they're almost definitely moving on from Tyrell Williams after this year. Let's you know, Williams has a you breakout so? year. Maybe they maybe they pay him the $11 million. Yeah, he just, he didn't stay in the lineup last year. He wasn't terribly productive when he was in the lineup. Uh, are you going to pay that guy $11 million? Uh, I I would have been open to entertaining that, but if you're going to take a guy like brian edwards with the 81st pick uh i think clearly that is a signal that they see edwards as basically stepping in for williams in 2021
3: yeah i had not thought of that but now that you say that that does make perfect sense i can see that edwards has a similar body type as tyrell williams Uh, williams has been good not great overall there in in las vegas i I guess it'd be in oakland but you know What I still want to see, Gary, is is how Derek Carr plays and how they ask him to play because until this passing game gets more aggressive, which it's ready to be, it's a little bit hard to analyze these wide receivers. Like Tyrell Williams, for example, he's a jump ball, 50-50 ball type of of receiver. Well, if you don't have a quarterback that pulls the trigger or is aggressive, you're not going to get the same kind of opportunities and consistency from that kind of wide receiver. So, They've done, the, they've done part A, which is get the receivers on the roster. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards. Uh, they had to Hunter Renfro last year in the fifth round, who's looking like a pretty good slot receiver for them. Part B is getting the quarterback on that same page with these guys.
4: Yeah, that's going to be... Uh, I mean, look, I, that's the number one thing to look at w- with the Raiders going forward here. I know that's a shocker that uh, the quarterback is important to this team. But uh, it's like you look forward to 2021, you're going to have rugs renfro probably edwards maybe Tyrell williams as we said if he had a breakout year but uh probably rugs renfro edwards waller josh jacobs that's a pretty good set of five skill position guys there, and then sort of quarterback TK. Can Derek Carr show this year that he can take advantage of those guys? And once again, before everyone tweets me uh, your PFF stats on Derek Carr being an accurate downfield thrower, he is an accurate downfield thrower when he throws downfield, which is not very often, and that is the problem—the not very often part—because uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's what you want when you have Henry Ruggs III in the lineup here. Um, we well, mentioned it, it, what's by the way. What's interesting when he does throw downfield and it's not very often
3: uh, I want to say a disproportionate number of them are just fade balls outside to guys one-on-one yeah. he's still not he's not reading the full field and thinking how can we attack this he's it's you know and look fade balls are fine if you got guys that can win and Tyrell Williams is an example of one who could but the point is there's nothing aggressive or extraordinary at all about the Raiders downfield passing game coming
4: into this season and that's what they're trying to change and they, uh, they had taken Damon Arnett, sort of a, a polarizing first-round pick. Just you look at the measurables, he, he probably wouldn't profile as a, as a first-round pick. But uh, outside, inside, uh, flexibility here. And uh, in the fourth round, they took Amik Robertson, who is purely an inside guy. So uh, I guess that tells you a little bit uh, more about what Arnett's uh, potential usage is here for Las Vegas. Um let's go to the Los Angeles Chargers who obviously we talked about them quite a bit in the first round recap show but uh they they didn't make another pick until 112 the fourth round so we don't have a whole lot to add here I mean look it, I, I think if you're going to bring in Justin Herbert, uh, you want to get him on the field or you want to go sign Cam Newton and get him on the field, and you have a win-now roster. You signed a bunch of 30-something-year-old uh, free agents. You are built to win now, and, and can, I, can I give you my very special Chargers stat, Andy, to, to make Absolutely. to make the Chargers fan very excited about all of this? Uh, they are the only team to have beaten Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City granted it was 2 years ago but uh uh i think nah, that's that's nothing you got nothing there oh come on
3: that's not that's not
4: Mah- mahomes was certainly mahomes and they won a playoff game in baltimore
3: well yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i don't know that doesn't if i'm a, if i'm a chargers fan i don't need to feel any more excited than for one it's 2 years ago it was 2 years ago
4: yeah it's not that it's not not, not that long ago same core. i mean
3: that's a that's more of a fun fact
4: what you had was a fun fact mm, i don't know we'll see We'll see. Uh, so, yeah, Kenneth Murray, uh, we, we still kind of wonder, uh, you know, his value in the passing game is as a blitzer. Uh, as I said, he is the new uh, Jared Davis, the Lions linebacker, who I looked at for two years and said, this guy's really athletic. He should really be good in coverage, and he just never became good in coverage. So now they just use him as a, as a blitzer and a pass rusher all the time. Uh, I think there there is a good chance that's what Murray ends up being uh round four i'll just mention joshua kelly for all you fantasy dorks out there uh big time short yardage guy at ucla so if if you are a, a fantasy player and uh want to be very frustrated if you own austin eckler or you want to go pick up a touch touchdown vulture joshua kelly is your man he is a 220 pound just gus edwards type of a uh, no-nonsense runner which you need with eckler too it's a
3: one-two punch kind of deal I'll be interested to see if Justin Jackson or if it's Joshua Kelly, which one of them gets the most touches because Jackson's looked good at the times that he's been in there. He was a seventh round pick. Kelly's a fourth rounder, which would suggest the chargers feel that Kelly has the better tools, but they're not going to think about it. Once the, once the competition opens up, they'll go with whoever's looking the best in the off season. It'll probably be Jackson, I
4: guess, because I keep forgetting we're not going to have much of an off season. Yeah. Yeah. You you might be right, but, you know, running back is one you can you can pick up pretty soon, and and you know they didn't draft Josh Kelly to sort of be uh, expansive uh, pass catching back type of guy. Right. Uh, let's go to the AFC South. We are starting with the Houston Texans. We'll hit on the Texans a little bit more here because they did not have a first round pick. We have not addressed their draft at all on either this show or the first round recap on Friday. But uh, so they they stayed at pick forty and took Ross Blacklock, the the TCU defensive tackle. And it was kind of inter- interesting. We we wondered if they get a DJ Reader replacement. Blacklock is not stylistically a, a DJ Reader, but he is an upfield guy. He played over the nose at TCU. Uh, he was probably playing a little bit out of position there. He's probably a, a penetrating three technique, and he might be a really good one. He has the tools for that. And I know our buddy
3: Greg Cosell thought he was the best pass-rushing interior defensive lineman in this draft class, and they need that. They need a pass-rushing in Houston. And I can't believe nobody talked about it last year, but when Watt was out of the lineup, Houston's pass rush was not competitive, and even when he came back in, it wasn't always competitive. So they could not compete with the with the players that they had in their five down front, and they play a lot of three-two dime, by the way, Gary. So three defensive linemen, two linebackers, and then six defensive backs. And those two linebackers, Zach Cunningham and Bernardrick McKinney, they're an integral part of the pass rush, or they were last year. I don't know if that'll remain the case or not you you experiment with those kind of things when you don't have defensive linemen who can get home. Blacklock, they think can be that. That's at least going to give them more things to consider, more possibilities in their sub packages.
4: Yeah, and and just sort of adding on to that, we've talked about sort of the 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 quote unquote debate about do you build through coverage, do you build through pass rush? Uh, if your coverage is shaky and then you have zero pass rush, now your coverage is really shaky. If your coverage is shaky and you have a really like effective pass rush, then you uh, you you have a potentially passable group on the back end so uh sort of upgrading that pass rush will be will be big for them I don't know if I just completely misstated that entire uh little spiel there Andy I apologize uh and they go with uh, later on day two pick 90 was a Jonathan Greenard uh if you're watching the draft you saw I guess Bill O'Brien was really upset with the Lions he thought he had to deal with the Lions then the, he felt the Lions backed out uh and that's why you might have seen him gesturing quite aggressively and and if you are a lip reader he might have been saying uh uh i don't know he's watching meet the Fockers or something like that but uh (laughs) jonathan greenard uh really again pass rush guy pure speed guy off the edge uh a little bit raw interesting guy though and and obviously adds a little more juice to as we said was not a very good pass rush last year Correct.
3: And position flexible, as far as I can tell, with Greenard, which is important because when they play that five down front in Houston, almost all of those guys are in a two-point stance and they're often roaming around. They're lining up in different places. So they want versatile, athletic, pass rusher types. I think Whitney Merciless, they feel, is one of those guys. Maybe they
4: see Greenard in a similar light. Let's go to the Indianapolis Colts, another team that did not have a first-round pick. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., who I, I just think is just stylistically uh, the correct type of receiver to to put in there with uh, T.Y. Hilton. Big possession guy, uh, I, I think an immediate contributor in this offense. And, uh, I mean, my lord, the, the receiving core they were running out in the second half of last year was was just not good enough. So addressing that was uh, very nice. And they got Jonathan Taylor, who... He's going to play as a rookie, but this sort of signals that that you know maybe Taylor is their guy in twenty twenty one. When correct me if I'm wrong, any they, they can move on from Marlon Mack after the season.
3: Yeah, I believe they can. Jonathan Taylor as a pure runner is highly regarded by a lot of scouts. I mean, high like first round type of runner. He's not overly versatile. I don't know if that's a big deal for the Colts because they have a pretty diverse backfield already. Naheem Hines is kind of their Austin Eckler type of guy. I really liked the the Jonathan Taylor pig, and I liked the Michael Pittman pig. Pick for the reasons you outlined, and also Philip Rivers has played with those kind of receivers before a lot those big body guys he had Tyro Williams a few years ago, Mike Williams recently in in Los Angeles, and then when they were in San Diego, he had Malcolm Floyd Vincent jackson he's always had a big bodied receiver and he's willing to make throws against covered guys, and I mean that in a good way, although last year he had too many interceptions, so I guess it's also a little yeah. bit in a bad way. Uh, but he's, he'll fit it in. He knows how to throw to covered targets when those targets are big. Because if you're big and you're a certain kind of receiver and you're as talented as Michael Pittman, when you're covered, that doesn't necessarily
4: mean you're not still open. And, uh, I, I want to talk about their next two picks here. Uh, first one is Julian Blackman, the, the Utah safety. Uh, he's a converted cornerback. Actually, both of Utah's, uh, safeties last year were converted cornerbacks. I think Blackman would, uh, sort of qualify as the, the more athletic between him and Terrell Burgess. And, uh, I, I think maybe you see him as a, um, you know, as a single high type of guy, but, um, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk about this last season. Uh, what do you make of Malik Hooker at this point? Obviously, he's been in and out of the lineup a lot. Uh, they really struggled the second half of last year in pass coverage. I know Pierre Desir sort of uh, came back to earth a little bit. Not that he was ever in the stratosphere, but, uh, you know, it went, from, went from a quality starter to a guy who really struggled down the stretch. But um, I feel like a lot of teams are really catching Hooker, uh, taking chances on the back end, trying to create turnovers, and uh, really taking advantage of him. Uh, that,
3: that, that could be. I know they really like him. They genuine, genuinely like him. When you're off the record talking with the Colts coaches, they, they say the same stuff that they would say on the record about Hooker. So they see him in a positive light. They play with three safeties on the field a lot. and do a lot of dime defense, and they're pretty diverse and creative out of dime. Hooker's a big part of that. Um, So I, I, I think they're more optimistic than you are, Gary, but that doesn't mean what you're saying is not valid on some level. Hooker can play better than he has played because he's that kind of talent.
4: And uh, Jacob Eason, they they take the quarterback. Uh, some thought he might be a first rounder at some point. Uh, one of this, Albert Breer had a scout tell him uh, Jacob Eason is a is a 1995 prototype, uh, big time arm talent. When you know does, doesn't really move around very much, and when things get muddy, uh, he tends to struggle. But obviously, he's not going to have to see the field uh, in 2020. At least the the Colts hope he does not.
3: Well the the problem is if things get muddy and you struggle, you're not going to play well in the NFL because the NFL is a muddy pocket at more than half of the time by right? by the standards that Easton was familiar with in college. So I think every year, Gary, there's one QB that people see in the mid-round and for whatever reason he gets hyped up as a potential starter. Who's that the long-term replacement guy? And the hard reality is those kind of guys, Tom Brady or Dak Prescott, they come around every five or 10 years, and, and most years you're not finding true starting QBs in the middle rounds, and the whole NFL has agreed three times over that that guy is, is probably a backup. So I, that's how I would view that now, but I'm sure we'll hear more about Eason at some point, and maybe he'll make me look dumb and, and he'll be a pro bowler one day, but yeah, no, I don't know. I don't
4: get I don't get over the top about the mid-round QBs the way mm-hmm. I think it's easy to. Uh, and let's go on to the Jaguars here, who we didn't really touch on much in the first round. I, I guess we really didn't talk about the AFC South much at all. Uh, but they had two first-round picks, C.J. Henderson and uh, Kilivan Chason. Uh, I mean, look, this is, you know, they, they lost Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye, so C.J. Henderson is in. They're, they're losing Yadik Gakwe, so Chason is in. And that's kind of, you know, we're, we're resetting uh, with the guys they just had on rookie deals, with new guys on rookie deals.
3: And it's, it's kind of hard to stomach if you're a Jaguars fan and it's put to you like this. They're basically trying to rebuild the roster to make it into what it was two or three years ago. And the reason that's hard to stomach, really it's three years ago when they were the AFC Championship game. The, the reason it's hard to stomach is because the guys that are gone were not washed up at all. A.J. Bouye was moved for money reasons and Gawkway is going to be eventually moved for money reasons. Ramsey already was. Telvin Smith was. You know, no one's asked if he's coming back this year. I haven't heard a word uttered about him. It sounded like it was a sabbatical a year ago, but he's, you don't hear about him. So yeah. has he walked away from football for good? All these guys are, are star, cal- I mean, beyond stars. They're not star caliber. They are stars in their mid 20s, and they're not here anymore. And Claius Campbell got traded, and he's a little bit older, but he was their best player on defense last year. So they're drafting guys to replace stars and the chances of all these picks hitting again and
4: actually becoming what the guys before them were are very low yeah that is uh that is very true everything you said uh they i mean look they haven't traded in Gakwe. uh there are now reports that maybe they they'll try and hold on to in Gakwe. Uh, uh, look at, at this point i i think the the <laughs> the well has been poisoned. I, I think Ngakwe is not playing with the Jaguars ever again. Uh so I d I don't know. I don't know how that plays itself out. I, I you know, the guy wants out, maybe just uh get him out. <laughs> he's not yeah, he's, I, yeah. he, I mean, he, he he's not under contract with you anyway. You franchise tagged him. He played out his rookie deal, so maybe just uh just just go. Just get what you can get and go.
3: I'm surprised the They could have gotten, I would think they would have gotten good value for him this year because of the paucity of big-time edge-rushing talents in this draft and the number of teams that could have used a guy like that. So I'm a little surprised. I know if I had a first-round pick, unless it was in the top 10, I would give it up for Ngakwe. I I would do that without a whole lot of consideration. That, That guy is a true
4: dynamic explosive edge bender yeah i mean the the problem is teams are looking at you know you got to give them somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million annually so if you got to pay him and you got to pay draft capital for him that you know you don't yeah. want to do both. no one wants to do both is the problem and that's yeah that's I, a- and
3: that's fair I, I i totally understand that it depends on your situation Then indianapolis obviously did both with the trade for deforest buckner mm-hmm. but they had an abnormal amount of cap space available, so the money's relative. The money's relative to your cap space, which really is best illustrated by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had no cap space a few
4: weeks ago. Yeah, uh, they on day two they, they got uh, Lavisca Chenault, the the Colorado receiver, a little bit raw, but uh, certainly a uh, you know a home run threat. Uh, you know, some, probably more of a gadget guy at this point in his career, but uh, you're not going to complain about more weapons for Gardner Minshew here in in his second season. Uh, and uh, and Devon Hamilton, the uh, big sort of uh, you know less less disruptive, more sort of uh, run defending defensive tackle from Ohio State. And
3: that that guy will play over the center. So in these four three one gap schemes, which Jacksonville is is very much that, you still have what amounts to a nose tackle. a guy You, you still need one big-bodied guy. He's not going to sit there and just clog up all day long, but that's you need that kind of presence and that kind of guy. That's what they're trying to get in Hamilton, and they don't need him to play right away necessarily. They have some other options there, but the other options are Rodney Gunter or Avery Jones in the last year of his deal. They're not as pure of nose-tech style of players as what it appears Hamilton might
4: be. And uh, let's go on to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Isaiah Wilson in the first round. He obviously he steps in for Jack Conklin. You would presume as a rookie, uh, a little bit raw, a very big man. We'll see how well he moves on some of these uh, these wide zone runs. Uh, second round, Christian Fulton, the LSU cornerback, who uh, you know a lot of people only watch the national championship game, and uh, Fulton did not play very well in that game, but. <laughs> Whether this is good or bad, I mean, he was picked on all season because uh, at LSU, the 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 best uh, you know the, the best cornerback they have there is the true freshman Daryl Stingley, who is not a, not uh, uh, obviously eligible for this draft, but uh, basically playing opposite Stingley, he just got thrown at constantly last year. Uh, so Fulton steps in. Uh, I, I guess that signals that Logan Ryan will not be back. In Tennessee, and uh, and yeah, that's those, those are sort of your your two early contributors here in this draft class.
3: Well, I I have not studied the championship game film myself. People who I respect have said on film, Fulton's championship was not as bad as it appeared on TV. And when you play as much man coverage as LSU played at times, yeah. that's going to happen to cornerbacks. Very few teams that play man coverage have any corners that are just. Uh, brick walls for an, a receiver to deal with. Yeah,
4: and those are, and Clemson also has T Higgins went 33rd and uh, Justin Ross assuming he comes out next year. I mean, that that's a top 10 candidate right there. I mean, they they have star receivers.
3: Sh- sure. I mean, those are the kind of guys that he's going that anyone's going to have to cover in the NFL, but that's a that's a fair point as well. The other thing is Fulton in in Tennessee, they're going to play a lot of zone coverage and it's about disguising the coverage and getting to it in different ways. But they don't ask their corners to line up and guard a guy for three seconds on an island in space very often. So it's, it's if he, you have to be smart enough to play, and it's it's harder to play inside than outside in that system. If that's true of any system, but if Fulton has enough football awareness, and I would love to know what kind of conversations they've had with him leading up to the draft, I would imagine they feel comfortable with where he is there. If he has that, then then he's going to have an opportunity, and I guess. I wonder if this means Dory Jackson then becomes the slot guy, because Fulton, you, you, do we agree, he's probably more of a pure outside type of corner, it sounds like? I would think so, yeah. Yeah, Malcolm Butler has the body type to play this slot. He really hasn't done that a whole lot in his career. It'd right? <laughs> be interesting to see who replaces Logan Ryan. I still think that's an enormous loss for the Titans in part because a slot defender is still part of the run front a lot of the time. And Logan Ryan was a very good run defender. None of these other guys, I don't know about Fulton's tackling, maybe he's okay there, but even then he's not going to be in the slot anyway most likely. Jackson and Malcolm Butler, they're willing run defenders, but they aren't. They don't have the bodies to, to really fill gaps and take on
4: blocks the way that Logan Ryan did. Uh, day two, they took Darrington Evans, the, uh, running back from Appalachian state who presumably steps into the, uh, the Dion Lewis role here in this offense, though, uh, yep. obviously that they, they rode Derrick Henry harder than ever last season. And, uh, if you like quarterback seventh round, they took Cole McDonald, uh, out of Hawaii, who is, uh, I, I mean, look, he was, he was fun. He, he, had a lot of highlights he had a lot of low lights at hawaii so uh and you know, if he's forced into action maybe having a little bit more of a defined offense to play out of with the play action stuff uh maybe that that unleashes something a little bit better
0: there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I'm Katia Adler,
2: host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico
4: With that, we move on to the AFC North, and uh, alphabetically, your winners are the Baltimore Ravens, who also happen to be a team that had a yet another very good draft. Here, uh, we talked about Patrick Queen uh, stepping in for them on the on the Friday show. Uh, round two, they they. Take J.K. Dobbins. I had actually not realized, and I, I guess I just have no sense of time, but uh, I was like, what is Mark Ingram, like 27, 28? And Mark Ingram's going to be 31 soon. Uh, he'll be 31 mm-hmm. in December. So, uh, obviously, he had the calf injury last year. Uh, the guys behind him, Justice Hill, is, is I, I think, a very, you know, has a very specific set of skills. Uh, same with Gus Edwards. Uh, and those guys might be nice compliments. But, but Dobbins seems like a little bit more of a – Uh, sort of complete back in that offense.
3: And what they want in Baltimore is a guy who will stay on track, like the track of the run, how it's designed. They want the guy to play within that design. So that's one reason. I would almost guarantee you, Gary, if they had to choose between Mark Ingram and Le'Veon Bell, which they basically did at the time they signed Ingram, even if you take the money factor out of it, I bet you they would have taken Ingram. That's how committed they are to wanting a back who's going to play on schedule and within the designs. They don't want a guy that's going to dance around and try to do his own thing, even if the guy's great at it, like Le'Veon Bell can be. And the reason they want those on schedule backs is because with Lamar Jackson and all the moving pieces they have with their tight ends and how they scheme their running game, Offensive coordinator Greg Roman believes that his designs will win if they're executed properly, and so far he's been right about that. So Dobbins, I'm sure they feel is similar to Ingram in that sense because they would not go after him unless they
4: were sure that he will fit exactly how they want to play with Lamar Jackson out there. And uh, they took Queen in round one. They, They take Malik Harrison. Uh, at, at pick 98 on day two. And, and Harrison is sort of the, the, the opposite of Queen. I mean, he's, he's an early down thumper. He's probably a guy you're going to have to take off the field on on third downs.
3: Which is fine because they only play with one linebacker on third down anyway. They put in a bunch of safeties and extra corners. And uh, Patrick Queen is going to be the guy who's in eventually, if not right away in week one in those scenarios.
4: Uh, their other day two guys, Justin uh, Matibuke, the uh, defensive tackle, sort of an upfield guy. And, you know, we kind of wonder if they'd address receiver in this draft. I I guess this might have been sort of a vote of confidence for Miles Boykin at this point. Uh, They do take Devin uh, DuVernay. He's a burner, but he's really a slot guy out of Texas. So uh, I guess Boykin is who they are hoping will emerge as the guy opposite Hollywood Brown. And and then DuVernay is, is, uh, uh, you know, another piece in this.
3: Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm still getting a feel for Miles Boykin. I'm I, Brown Marquise Brown. We know what he is. He's what he was coming out. He's gonna be a vertical threat. He might have two catches for ten yards in one game, and then he'll have four for 180 the next week. I mean, he's that's the kind of receiver he'll be. So it's it's. I don't think it's a totally defined receiving core quite yet Gary but Boykin is still a
4: work in progress and maybe they feel better about where he is behind the scenes and then they do end up taking a, a couple of interior line move with Marshall Yanda retiring uh, Tyree Phillips uh, at pick 106 and Ben Bredesen at pick 143 and I guess those guys have some sort of bake-off to see who gets to replace the future Hall of Famer
3: and they might just have a full free-for-all competition at the guard spot because remember last year Bradley Bozeman their sixth rounder in 2018 he competed with Ben Powers who was their fourth rounder last year for the starting left guard job and I think a lot of people myself included just as it's going to be Ben Powers and I think the Ravens probably thought that going in and obviously Bozeman won the job and he had a solid rookie or solid debut season as a starter they might as well just put it all in the mix and tell everybody hey, everybody's jobs are up for grabs. Here we have two guard spots open, four
4: men are playing. Have at it, guys. All right, let's go. Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow, obviously the first overall pick. Uh, this is what surprised me about this draft is they did not add an offensive lineman until round six. Uh, so you would assume, uh, you know, uh, the Kansas prospect, uh, Hakeem, Adeniji probably does not have a big role going forward here. Uh, they get Jonah Williams, uh, who presumably slides in a left tackle. Their, their 2019 first rounder who missed all last season with, with an injury. But uh I would have thought they would have addressed the offensive line a little more aggressively in this draft. Here's what I think they're thinking is if we stabilize
3: the left tackle spot, which we did down the stretch last year when Cordy Glenn finally decided he wanted to play for us, he gets on the field, we look a lot better. So, okay, now we have Jonah Williams stabilizing left tackle. We like Michael Jordan at left guard, fourth round pick a year ago. We think he'll be better next year. Trey Hopkins is not at all dazzling at center, but you can play with him. He's shown that in his career. And then Xavier Suofilo, they must be a little higher on him than other people would be, Gary, because that's that's he'll be their starting right guard unless Billy Price can win the job. He was a first-round pick two or three years ago now. And then they like Bobby Hart there in Cincinnati, which I know will probably blow the minds of Bengals fans because Bobby Hart's become one of those guys that you just insert criticism, and that's how you analyze Bobby Hart. But... His deal, when he loses, it, it's ugly. He'll lose ugly a few times. But snap to snap, he, he's not a horrible player. And they, they feel, bottom line is they feel comfortable with him in there. So they're going to say they're higher on their offensive line than
4: outsiders would be. And their actions have proven that. Now we'll see how it goes for them. And uh, so with the first pick of the second round, they took T Higgins, the Clemson receiver, big catch radius guy, sort of a contested catch guy, uh, as opposed to a big time athlete on the outside. I mean, it does. does do you look at him and, and see a Zach Taylor style receiver here? Um, possibly a Zach Taylor style
3: receiver is one who will he does have to work between the numbers because that's where a lot of that passing game occurs. He has to be able to run intermediate crossing routes because that's where the play-action game occurs. And there's a timeliness and a rhythm and a precision and detail with all of this because the receivers, kind of like what we said with Baltimore's running game, that's the way Cincinnati's pass game is designed, as most NFL pass games are, but especially Cincinnati's where you need to be right here, right on schedule. So that's, I assume that's what they believe Higgins can be. I imagine they also aren't sure if A.J. Green's going to continue to be a factor or not. You know, A.J. Green's missed three-fourths of the games over the last two years. He's on the wrong side of 30 now. Higgins, stylistically,
4: could be a replacement for Green if they need that. And uh, they they got some linebackers. They sort of show what they thought of that linebacking core. Uh, Logan Wilson, the Wyoming linebacker, uh, really productive guy, probably guy who uh, stays in there, plays some zone coverage on uh, on passing downs. And uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither, the Appalachian State linebacker, Linebacker, uh, really athletic, a little bit undersized, and probably kind of like we talked uh, about with with some of these linebackers in this class. Uh, I don't know if you quite trust him in coverage, or you know, I don't know if he's a guy who you just put out there and and he's going to be part of your your pass rush. He's going to do some blitzing uh, if he's on the field on in in a passing situation.
3: Well, this is another team that has shown a willingness to play dime. They don't play it with the same. Volume as Baltimore, but they put a sixth defensive back on the field. So if they don't feel great about their coverage linebackers, and I, I think they'll give it a chance to. I think Jermaine Pratt was known for his coverage coming out last year, Mm -hmm. third round pick. Logan Wilson has been compared to by some to to Patrick Queen stylistically, a finesse player. You figure they think he can play a nickel, but if they don't, if one of those guys isn't good enough, and they want to take him off the field, they have. They'll, they'll go to their extra safeties to do that. And they did sign Von Bell from New Orleans. Now, I think Von Bell will, I think he ought to be considered for the starting strong safety job ahead of Sean Williams. But the point is, with, with those two and Jesse Bates, there are three safeties who have played a lot of snaps
4: in the NFL in recent years. Let's go on to the Browns. Uh, obviously, they, they they got their left tackle in Jedrick Wills in the first round. They end up taking Grant Delpit, who I mean, look, he, he was a polarizing guy, missed a lot of tackles uh, in in his junior year. Uh, tape looked a lot better in his sophomore year. Was it a result of injuries his junior year? He played, played with a, a banged up ankle for a, for a large portion of the season. But um, you know, Delpit can do a lot of things once you get back there. And obviously, they they brought in a lot of new faces at safety this year.
3: They did, and I really like their safety coach, who's their passing game coordinator, Jeff Howard. He worked with with Anthony Harris in Minnesota, and Harris started out as a backup and then got a little better every year, and he became a franchise player for the Vikings and is worth a ton of money now, and Harrison Smith's the other safety. So this coaching staff has coached good safeties before, Delp—it's in a great opportunity, a great position to do that. Now, the tackling will have to get cleaned up, especially in this scheme, because the way they play, the safeties will probably be a little bit lower than most schemes. It's a very aggressive approach with the safeties, and they'll have outside run-contained responsibilities or run-fit run responsibilities where they're going to have to be the guys, the main
4: point-of-attack defenders against certain run plays. And uh, they end up, uh, they, they take Jordan Elliott, uh, sort of, you know, in, intriguing, sort of, uh, I, I wouldn't quite call him a developmental guy. I, I think you're comfortable with what he can do uh, as far as uh, two-gapping. I, I, You know, you could argue he has some uh, upside as sort of a become more disruptive guy. But uh, obviously, he's in a rotation with, with Sheldon Richardson and uh, Larry Ogunjobi at this point. Uh, they took Harrison Bryant. Uh, The tight end from Florida Atlantic, really productive as a receiver. Um, decent as a blocker but I, I think you look at him as more of, of, of a supersized receiver than anything but uh I mean look this it looks like they're just going to play two tight ends and and two backs and you're not going to see a whole lot of three receivers here they, they brought in Harrison Bryant obviously they signed Austin Hooper they still have David Njoku they brought in Andy Janovich at fullback and you look at this this receiving core it's Beckham and Landry and then I mean you're you're talking about uh uh Taewon Taylor as as probably your number yeah. three guy, yeah. Well, Stefanski had Irv
3: Smith last year in Minnesota, and I would imagine that's precisely the role that they see Harrison Bryant playing—that move, flexible receiving tight end. And when they move and flex him around, they're not going to split him out wide like a lot of teams will do with their tight end. He's going to be coming out of the backfield and from an offset position. He'll be a hybrid fullback type, fullback tight end hybrid type of guy in a lot of their designs.
4: And let's uh, let's go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. No first round pick uh, at forty nine. They take Chase Claypool, the receiver from Notre Dame. Uh, it tested really well. Really big guy. But uh, you know, despite the the good testing numbers, he he to me, I mean, he, look, he's a contested catch guy. That's that's what he always was. He, he's not a guy who creates a ton of separation here. And uh, I don't know, you know, a little bit raw. I I guess I was a little bit taken by surprise by this pick just because I I think he might be a year or two away and obviously if you're the the Steelers and you're looking at what you have defensively and you have Ben Roethlisberger coming back uh you know you'd think you want someone who could get on the field immediately
3: yeah because the guys they've drafted in this position in recent years James Washington and Deontay Johnson they haven't really secured a a steady role in the NFL, not to where you'd feel, hey, I, we feel really good about our number two receiver. Now, maybe Deontay Johnson can get there. He did some nice things as a rookie, but Pittsburgh's been trying and trying and trying to find these second-round receivers, third-round receivers. They actually found one a few years ago in Juju Smith-Schuster, so it's they're batting okay percentage-wise. Here's the bottom line thing you need to know about Pittsburgh's passing game. It puts a lot of stress on wide receivers. It asks them to win one-on-one a lot of the time. And that's the end of the story. So if you feel that you can win one-on-one there, Claypool's one of those guys that he doesn't separate, but he can win the 50-50 balls. You know, Roethlisberger is someone who's willing to throw those. So there's a reason for optimism. But when you play the way they do in Pittsburgh, your receivers have to perform. And right now they really have only one guy who has shown he can perform, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster.
4: Yeah, and you got uh, Pick 102, they took Alex Highsmith, edge guy, out of Charlotte. Uh, obviously, they have T.J. Watt there. They, they tagged Bud Dupree, so he's in a rotation. I, I guess he, he steps in for what? Uh, that, that was the old uh, uh, Anthony Ciccolo type of, uh, type of spot there. But, uh, you know, if Highsmith sort of shows some promises here, maybe it gives you that flexibility to move on from Dupree after the season if, if you want to.
3: And The Steelers have done this for a lot of years. They used to always take these outside linebacker hybrid rusher types and they would develop them from the bench for a year or two and then they'd come in and they just had a steady rotation of talent at that spot. So this could also be a a subtle sign that Dupree, even though they franchise tagged him this
4: year, maybe he's not as secure in the long term plans as someone might guess. And let's uh, let's go on to the AFC East. We are starting with America's team, the Buffalo Bills. Did not have a first-round pick. Uh, I mean, look, this was this was interesting. AJ Epenesa, you know, obviously a, a lot of draft pundits thought he was a, a first-round guy based on his production at Iowa. Uh, Really not a big time athlete. It doesn't uh, doesn't bring that kind of juice off the edge. Might even be a guy who reduces inside on passing downs. But uh, and you mentioned this in, in, in your draft grades uh, right up, Andy. Uh, is Epinesa basically Shaq Lawson with the kind of uh, you know technique and, and technician work that you wish Shaq Lawson had developed? That's what he needs to become because if he's not, then he'll be what Shaq Lawson is,
3: which is a guy who was allowed to walk out the door after his rookie deal and wound up signing with a division rival. And I don't know if Buffalo's overly concerned about that. I don't think Lawson developed the way you would hope a first-round pick would develop. So if you're not explosive, you have to be a technician – I, and I'd love to know what Sean McDermott exactly sees and thinks when he evaluates defensive linemen, because McDermott's a tremendous coach. There's no refuting that at all. And they have a clear idea of what they want because other guys, Trent Murphy's a very similar player in that he's not very explosive either. And, and But he's a technician. He's got some girth. I don't think you're going to, you're not going to move him off his spot very easily. So, Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy, AJ Epinesa, these are all big investments the team has made. They don't look for just pure, dynamic, one-gap penetrating edge benders at defensive end. They do have a few of those. Mario Addison can be that kind of guy. Jerry Hughes, those guys are a little bit older. But you uh, most teams will say, it have got to be that. If you're not that, we're not taking you in the first mm-hmm. or second round. Obviously, Buffalo's not one of those teams. They do not They don't see it that
4: way. Uh, Later in day two, they get Zach Moss, the Utah running back. Obviously, they they needed a a second back behind Devin Singletary there. Uh, Frank Gore is is probably not coming back to Buffalo at this point. Uh, And on day three, Gabriel Davis, uh, another field-stretching receiver, and they stop the fall of Jake Fromm. You know, I was – look – Coming into this draft, I was kind of wondering, I was looking at Jake Fromm, and, and I just kept on thinking Matt Barkley. Like, he's just, you know, he's going to be that guy who, you know, is a collegiate star, and a lot of people are going to say like, well, he, you know, look at look at what he did in college. He must be a, a first-round pick, a second-round pick, uh, et cetera. And he ends up falling even further than Barkley fell on uh, uh, on, on draft day. Barkley was a fourth-rounder. Fromm is now a fifth-rounder. Uh, but there were so many position coaches around the league who loved Jake Fromm, and, uh, you know, I mean, look, he He's a guy who wasn't supposed to beat out Jacob Eason at Georgia and beat him out, and then he really wasn't supposed to beat out Justin Fields at Georgia, and he, he beat out Fields. Of course, Fromm did not play well uh, or as well his junior year, and just the, the physical traits are not there, which, I mean, look— <laughs> He he certainly matches Matt Barkley stylistically. Uh, he he does not. I I will make this bold call. He will never uh, match what Josh Allen is stylistically. So uh, <laughs> some something of a you know I mean the Panthers also uh, always used to have a Derek Anderson backing up Cam Newton. So I guess they would never put a whole lot of emphasis into this. Uh, you know you want your backup to sort of uh, match what your starter can do.
3: No, and do you know who Josh Allen's backup is now?
4: Barkley. Yeah, not Barkley. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Is that where you're making the point you were? I, I thought it was just a coincidence that you made the point like that. I assumed everyone knows the quarterback depth chart of, again, America's team. <laughs> I think Barkley is a pretty good backup, by the way. I, I would
3: feel fine. if I, I To me, he's exactly what you want in NFL backup, or at least he's in the mold. I don't know if he's exactly what you want because he's not overly experienced. in. But I, I, I am fine if that's my number two QB. So if they feel Jake Fromm can be that, the
4: fifth round is a really good place to get a backup quarterback. That's good value. That is no, absolutely. Uh, and and look, everyone says Fromm is a guy who's going to stick around the league as a backup at the very at the very least. So uh, you know, and now you get a you get a cheap backup. Sometimes you got to pay for backups, but uh, you yeah. won't be paying Jake Fromm a whole lot. Uh, Let's go to Miami. We talk about their their three first round picks. Obviously, Tua is is the headliner of their um, of their draft class here. Uh, day two, they they take Robert Hunt. I I like Robert Hunt. I do worry about the fact that you know he was kind of a guy who uh, a bit of a man among boys type of thing in the Sun Belt Conference, where you know he's just a much larger, stronger man, sort of ragdolling opponents, and and now he's got to adjust to man strength in the NFL. But uh, also kind of interesting. A lot of people pegged him as a guard. I think he can stay at tackle. I would assume the Dolphins keep him at right tackle, uh, considering their depth chart. Yeah, because they they
3: drafted uh, last year in the third round, they they took a guard and, and Michael Dieter, and then... It's just signed Eric Flowers, so obviously they feel he's a guard for a long time for them. So the plan will be for Hunt to play tackle initially, and it would be right tackle because they
4: drafted Austin Jackson. Would you ever in a million years consider moving Eric Flowers back to right tackle? No, I would not. Okay, that is the correct answer. I was just testing you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, they they take uh, Raquan Davis who it's I mean look it seems like he has been uh the subject of draft chatter for like uh 8 years here. He he uh played a senior year at Alabama. Uh you know, he is that Patriots style uh lineman that he's not going to do a ton in the pass rush, but uh uh they are going to Quite clearly, they're going to try and generate pass rush because they just don't have a whole lot of guys with a with a ton of juice on this uh, on this front here. Um, and then Brandon Jones on the back end, sort of a, another heady safety for this for this team here.
3: So how they view their defensive front is they're very mechanical about it. They we want to square up the blocker, and then we're going to run stunts and twists off of that. We're going to be a highly schemed pass rush. So they don't necessarily need the same kind of dynamos that other teams would need. But you can't take it too far. Last year, Miami had – I mean, they had – I've never seen a less talented dime pass rush, to be quite frank, Gary. So some of these guys that, that they might not look like much as as physical specimens rushing the passer, like a Curtis Weaver even, their yeah. fifth-round pick. Mm-hmm. I, those guys could have – I think they could have probably been on the field for Miami and dime third down and long situations last year. So we'll, we'll see. It's, they don't they don't need greatness, but you can't have you can't be awful either.
4: Yeah, and, and I mean, look, certainly the Dolphins have addressed their defensive backfield here. I mean, it has a chance to be really good. You, you got Xavier uh, uh, Howard and now Byron Jones and uh, and Noah Iggy in the in the back. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, coward! I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, coward. I'm still I'm still working on it. I'm so sorry. It's uh it's uh igbino, ig- ig ig right? Igbenogahni, heen, heen at the end. Oh, okay. I, Again,
3: listen, and the people are saying being disrespectful. If this guy can play, we'll his name will. Everybody will pronounce his name just fine by October first. So if if he's any good, it'll solve
4: itself. We're, we're gonna we're gonna struggle through it for a little while. I still feel I am being disrespectful, so I I, I apologize to Noah. But uh, let's uh, let's move on to the New England Patriots, who uh, of course traded out of round one. And uh, look, they just they just collected. Players. I mean, if you were looking for the Patriots to uh, address needs that did not happen, Uh, you know, Belichick mentioned in his sort of post draft presser that uh, it was not by design that they did not take a quarterback, but they, you know, it's just how it ended up playing out. But uh, Kyle Duggar, who's sort of a, uh, you know, Do do you call him an undersized linebacker or or a big safety? Uh, Either way, just just a Division II prospect out of Lenora Ryan in North Carolina. Um, Just a really impressive physical specimen, and obviously you you look forward to what they can develop him into in New England. And then uh, they go with another Michigan edge guy, uh, Josh Uche, who, uh, you know— they took Chase Winovich last year. I I, I don't think I, I think Winovich is a good athlete. Uh, Uche is like a is like a pure speed guy. I mean, he is all about speed. Uh, and then they take uh, Anthony Jennings, another sort of versatile, uh, you know, uh, Alabama guy. Obviously, he comes from that Saban uh, program. So um, you know, guy who can do a lot of things well on that front seven.
3: And I'll just say this, as someone who's, I guess, I'm mid thirties, which hurts, but as a mid thirties year old who grew up love in the 1990s NBA it was a real treat i i don't think, i don't think the spelling's quite the same but the pronunciation is it's a real treat to see another athlete named anthony
4: come along yeah i was going to say we had all the shacks come along and the Shakils, yeah, we did. and uh anthony just, just never got his respect maybe maybe he will as a coach now maybe that will inspire maybe. some people at, at no Memphis. no
3: one's naming their kid penny either that
4: name never caught on anywhere ah uh, you know we are we are actually like I don't know what four or five years from the LeBrons coming up. You think you think people will do that 2000, what was he 2003 draft?
3: Yeah, but I do think like. That's not a, that's a, so that name, like Michael Jordan, let's say you wanna name your kid, your last name's Jordan, we're gonna name him Michael Jordan. You know, that's, uh, I guess we could have talked about this on the Bengals left guard, but <laughs> Michael is a name, you know, that's a common name. So the name Michael in and of itself does not bring pressure. So if your teacher calls on you, hey, Michael, you know, your hands up, Michael, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. If your name is LeBron, that's what he's known as. That's almost I mean it's like naming your kid Jesus. Like that's a lot. It's a one name tells a story kind of deal. So
4: I don't know if I would do that. It's it's but, you know you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I I wouldn't do it, but Shaquille was the same way. I mean there were really not Was it? There were not many Shaquilles and then there were a lot of Shaquilles, you know, 20 years later.
3: Yeah, I, will I guess. S- I will say
4: I just Googled it, and uh, according to this site, playback.fm, uh, the most famous people in the world named LeBron, number one, LeBron James. That's <laughs> There's a factoid for you, Andy.
3: I, um, a guy I met the other day here at, at town, like he's an insurance agent or someone I was calling for just day-to-day business, personal business stuff, his name was Carl Malone, and it was spelled with oh. a K. So the first thing I asked him was, "How you know how how many times would you get asked in a given week about that? Twenty years ago, and how many times do you get asked today?" And He said he still gets asked today, but twenty years ago it was a lot because just by coincidence he happened to live in Salt Lake City oh, at the
4: time. Oh man, yeah, oh, I know that's, that's what I
3: said because all you do is just everybody who meets you becomes disappointed. You've let them down instantly because if you make a dinner reservation for Carl alone and you show up. You know that's a pretty depressed major D right there, and
4: that's that that's your life. That's what's hard to deal with. You know that's that's a good transition, not the difficult life, but the uh, the basketball analogy here, because uh, the Patriots' tight ends last year were primarily screen setters out there, and uh, <laughs> now they they have sort of addressed it. They, they took two third round tight ends here, uh, Devin Asiasi, who. I would assume would have an early impact here as you know an athletic guy who can sort of stretch this the the seam here and uh, and also Dalton Keane out of uh, Virginia Tech.
3: I'll be interested to see if they go back to maybe putting two of these guys on the field at some point. I guess you got to find out first if just one of them can play, but they don't have a lot of depth at wide receiver either. Muhammad Sanu's is probably their number three receiver. You know Sanu is functional, I guess, but still a work in progress. If we did, if if you took the logo and the colors and all that off of this team, you'd probably rate this team as the 30th or 31st most talented offense in the NFL. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's uh <laughs> it's going to be something this year in New England. Uh, and, and we should mention, uh, you know, they, they moved on from uh, Steven Gostkowski, uh So the Vinitary to Gaskowski to now Justin Rohrwasser, the, the martial kicker in there, who, uh, again, another unusually spelled name. And uh, I, I really don't know anything about him, except uh, I guess he did not know that you can have tattoos removed. If, uh, if you've gotten them in the past, and you can Google that. We're probably not going to dive too deep into it, mostly because I don't know the background that much. I just sort of uh, skimmed some stuff on it. Uh, New York Jets, this is it, 16 of 16 here in the AFC. And uh, look, Jets came into this draft. They needed help offensively. They needed help on the offensive line. They needed help at receiver. They take Mekhi Becton in the first round, the massive Louisville tackle, who uh, presumably becomes their, their starting left tackle. And then uh, round two, polarizing guy, Denzel Mims. Uh, I think everyone's always a little bit nervous about the receivers coming out of Baylor. Uh, Mims is, you know, he's he's fast and he's a huge catch radius guy. And you just figure you can figure out something with him. <laughs> yeah, it's they needed
3: any kind of receiver they can get. They probably still could use one or two others because it's after it's Mims and Brashad Perriman Jamison Crowder to me is such a pure slot guy that you almost can't count him as a wide receiver, but this fills a hole at least. At least they have someone they can look at putting on the field
4: right now. Uh, They end up addressing the defensive backfield here. They take Ashton Davis, who, uh, you know, a little bit raw, but big-time athlete out of Cal, Uh, you know, maybe maybe a center fielder type. Uh, And I do want to lump in, and again, I don't want to – Put a fifth rounder in the Hall of Fame here, but Bryce Hall is another guy who might have slipped uh, out of day two because you know they couldn't really get the physicals done with him. Uh, Bryce Hall is—he's uh, is, a big corner. He's not a fast corner, and uh, I do wonder if they ultimately see him as a safety. I guess we'll find out uh, as this you know next couple years progress here. But uh, you know, two kind of versatile guys. I mean, Davis the safety is might be. Might be more suited to man coverage than Bryce Hall. The cornerback is. Well, they, I don't think they'll look at their
3: corners the same way. They play so much cover too. I don't. They're not going to feel like they need super athletic corners. So mm-hmm. if Bryce Hall doesn't move particularly well. That's fine because they want that physicality because in cover two, you jam the receiver coming off. That's that. If you don't do that, the coverage cannot work. It's too soft of a coverage. So they want guys that can jam and then they don't have to run because they have a safety over the top of them. So I imagine that's how they feel about Bryce Hall. That's why they didn't feel too concerned about Pierre Desir's struggles for the Colts last year because Desir struggled in man-to-man coverage, but he's got that long arm – Big, kind of deceptively thick-framed guy. So they have a couple of corners that at least fit how they want to play. Davis is the interesting one. I don't know what's going on with Jamal Adams. Let's assume Adams will not be traded for the purposes of a safety discussion. Because if you do trade him, you're not going to find a safety as good as him. So let's assume they're keeping him here. Marcus May's in a contract year. He's a second round pick in 2017. Maybe they feel May's not a guy they can re-sign. Some, you know, those guys that are not quite good enough to franchise tag, but are are certainly good enough to pay big money to. They're the hardest ones to keep in free agency. The guys just on the on the fringe of being good enough to franchise tag. So maybe they think Marcus May's going to get away from them, and that's why Davis is here. Yeah, yeah. They have- they, they also play with extra safeties at times too. Greg mm. Williams will be creative like that, but. I <laughs> they i don't know if that's plan a because they've invested at li- at the linebacker position a little bit in recent years yeah
4: they have uh they have some options here in the defensive backfield now very thin last year at at, a, at cornerback and uh they they were linked to Logan Ryan a little bit still kind of uh, appalling that Logan Ryan is out there I, I don't know what his contract asks are but uh Logan Ryan's a really good player who could help a lot of teams right now and and that and that'd be a perfect fit yeah stylistically uh they take a uh, Jabari Zuniga uh Sort of uh, versatile uh, edge guy. You'd probably call him a defensive end. Maybe he moves inside on passing downs here uh, out of Florida. And they also take uh, they take a quarterback. They take uh, James Morgan out of Florida International uh, Bowling Green transfer at 125. Uh, I I would you know good athlete, good arm talent. Uh, Obviously, some work to do with a guy like that. Which is fine because he's here to be a backup, so they'll work with him for a couple years, yeah. less of course. Can you get mono a second time, or is that one of those things like the measles? <laughs> I had, I didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't trust it one way or another because uh, I think if the Jets have to put Luke Falk on the field ever again. Uh, I, I, I think they won't take that chance. I will say one thing
3: in defense of Luke Falk that his worst play last year against Philadelphia, the pick six to, to Nathan Gary, linebacker. That that I have learned was not Luke Falk's fault. Just so okay. this, so it wasn't as, you know,
4: it wasn't, but I hear what you're saying.
3: Okay. It wasn't as bad as it looked necessarily. Falk. Fair,
4: fair. All right. We are going to be back with the NFC tomorrow. We'll have a, uh, we'll have 16 games tomorrow being Tuesday. Maybe you're not listening to this on Monday. So uh, it is Monday. This was the AFC. Tuesday is the NFC. That's how the days of the week work. But uh, that's going to be a wrap for now. Andy, once again, we thank you for joining us. I appreciate you, Gary. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is me, Gary Gramling, and once again, special thanks to Andy Benoit, our guest, for this one. We are produced by Shelby Royston, SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire line of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
2: with Zumo Play.